Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. I thought this game was, for two periods, it was really good. Like, we were doing everything we had to do, and everything was going against us. You know, that's what it felt like. No matter what we tried, it was like, oh, you know, they get, you know, their first goal, just flow one in, and it goes in. And then, you know, we finally fight, fought back. And and then, obviously, a goal that gets taken off the board that you think is a goal. And just, you know, what, what else can happen? And um, but the guy, these guys stuck with it and, you know, we're still, you know, we're in good, we're, we're still around and that's, that's, what's great. with host Adam Gold, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now here's the host of the Canes Corner Podcast, Adam Gold. Welcome to the Canes Corner Podcast. I am Adam Gold. Thank you very much. We are from an empty, now PNC arena, where, uh, air quotes, 12,000 people. <laughs> sure, it was only 12,000 people. Watch the Carolina Hurricanes come from behind in the third period, tie it, and then win it in overtime on a Jordan Stahl baseball bat line drive dribbler through the legs of UC Saros' goal. And the Hurricanes are taking a 3-2 series lead. They will head back to Nashville. You down with OTC? Overtime captain, you get it? Yeah, you know me. I'm sorry. I, I, I wrote it down that way, and I apologize. So accept my apology. If you want to give me a bad rating on the podcast simply because I asked if you were down with OTC, then go right ahead. My guess is if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably chuckling because it was that bad. Again, accept my apologies. We're brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. Clearly don't take it out on these people. They are great people. Uh, they also have great things for the exterior of your home. Uh, bay windows, bow windows, entry doors, storm doors, gutter helmets, roofing. They got everything. If it's for the exterior of your home, make it more energy efficient. Go check them out online. Aluminumcompany.com. I thought Walt Whitman would get us going today. Oh, Captain, my Captain, our fearful trip is not quite done. So the Hurricanes, after back-to-back double overtime losses, gut-wrenching losses, losses that had doubt creeping into everybody's mind, came through in the clutch tonight, and they win a game 3-2 that I am telling you, the, again, air quotes, 12,000 people at PNC Arena with about nine minutes left to go in the game. None of them 
thought that the Hurricanes were going to figure out a way to score a goal. They had chances to score. They had a goal ticket off the board. You heard that from uh, Rod Brindamore. Yeah, should Jordan Stahl should have had two. Uh, yeah, it would have been Stahl's goal. It wasn't. You'll hear the goal, but then we don't have... I want to get the the fact that it was disallowed uh, because I thought that was uh, that was obviously a key moment in the game. We're going to talk about it. Alec Campbell will join us in a little bit. Um, but the Hurricanes were after probably a ten minute period where I didn't think they were sluggish. I just thought they were, they were just jumpy and fighting the puck and maybe trying to do too much too fast. It's possible that you could play too fast. And I think Carolina needed some time to settle down, or maybe they just needed Martin Natchez to pick up the puck and go crazy. Natchez spinning around, he scores! Oh, we've seen that before, but this one is the biggest wraparound goal of Natchez's career. His second of the game ties it in two. See, when Mike Maniscalco, Hurricanes play-by-play voice, when Natchez picked up the puck, that's when Mike recognized that Natchez had the puck. And then that's how fast it took for Natchez to score. Tremendous play. It was the second time this year that Natchez has uh, uh, completed a goal like that. Last time was uh, March 25th in Columbus on Jonas Corposalo. Uh, but we hadn't seen that. He's tried it a few times. But, uh, man, Carolina needed something. They needed the equalizer. They got it from Natchez. And from that point on, Carolina tilted the ice. In fact, and this is... When, when we talk about what Carolina's good at, well, they're good at a lot of things. But what Carolina is really good at is limiting chances. Now, in general, Carolina gives up a lot of juicy chances. That was not the case tonight. Um, in 62 minutes and three seconds of hockey, if I, if I have this correct, 62 minutes and... Three seconds of hockey since Jordan Stahl scored at uh, 2.03 of the overtime. The Nashville Predators had five high-danger chances the entire game. Now, Carolina didn't have a ton either because 10 is a pretty low number. Carolina had 10. Nashville had five all game long. They only had 13 scoring chances all game long. Carolina defensively elite tonight. Huh. I wonder, oh, that's right, Jacob Slavin played. See? See what happens when number 74 draws in? And I remember watching him in game one, and I I kept thinking in the back of my head, man, 74 doesn't look right. So I don't know what happened. I don't know if they were deliberately holding him out of both games in Nashville and trying to win them, which they almost did twice. The Jacob Slavin that played tonight was a Jacob Slavin that you go, oh, yeah, that's right. That's Jacob Slavin. So, again, don't know what the injury is. We just know it's lower body. Don't know if he's even going to be able to play in Nashville on Thursday, uh, which, by the way, I believe the game starts at midnight. Gosh, 9.30. Wow. Uh, But Slavin was a difference maker tonight. He was my second star of the night. I gave Jordan Stahl my my third star. I gave uh, Jacob uh, Slavin my second star, and Martin Natchez gets my first star. Um, and we'll talk about Natchez. We'll talk about uh, as many things as we can, and Alec Campbell will join us on the other side. But the captain now has four goals, and I want to thank him uh, for doing this early in overtime. And this is the way I think overtimes generally work. I mean, I guess there's data to prove this right or wrong, uh, 
Uh, but I think you get either get one very early or it happens very late in periods when guys are just kind of gassed. Uh, but Carolina still had a lot of energy. And I again, I thought Carolina played a very good game tonight. Uh, and even though the goal was disallowed, and we will talk about that issue, my takeaway from it was, all right, they wiped the goal out. We can, we can sit here and argue all day long about whether or not they should have or shouldn't have. But the, my takeaway from it was, you see what happens when you put traffic in front of the net. Stuff happens. And Carolina was better at that tonight. They weren't awesome at it, but they were better at it. I'm going to make this prediction. You're going to see a ton of it Thursday night from Carolina in Nashville. I picked I, I picked Carolina in seven at the beginning of the series, but I really thought that whoever won tonight's game was going to win Thursday. I'm hoping that's the case, not because I want Saturday off. No, 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 not because I want Saturday off, but because uh, I want Saturday off. Okay, I do want Saturday off. Uh, Jacob Slavin, 26 minutes and eight seconds of ice time. He had an assist. He assisted on the game-winning goal. He was a plus two. Uh, actually, he didn't have an assist in the game when he goal. He had an assist on the Natchez goal. But he uh, he and Pesci were the defensive pair on the ice on the uh, on the game-winning goal. Uh, so Pesci plays 25-15. Just 25-15. That's like, uh, that's like vacation for Brett Pesci. Uh, Brady Shea, 23-17. Dougie Hamilton, 24-08. I want to say this about Dougie Hamilton. I wrote very critical things about Dougie Hamilton. He had an assist tonight. That's great. But here's what Dougie Hamilton did tonight. Dougie Hamilton played the game right. So, again, maybe it's Jacob Slavin. This is the guy. This is the, He's the Dougie Hamilton whisperer. Not that Hamilton was great, but Hamilton wasn't a minus player. And I'm not talking about the plus-minus category. I'm talking about he didn't hurt them tonight. Dougie Hamilton hurt them in Game 4. A du- directly related, uh, either directly or indirectly related to all four goals. Number 19 had a hand in all of it. His fingerprints were all over that loss. Um, but Dougie played well tonight. Uh, he had a couple of blocked shots, got a stick in the way of a couple of passes, was in the right position. We didn't go figure skating behind the goal uh, for no apparent reason. Carolina, they, there were mistakes tonight. I mean, Carolina gave away the goal at the sec- start of the second period, less than a minute in. Brett Pesci and Steven Lorenz, miscommunication. Pesci skated in down the left side, uh, dro- tried to drop pass for Steven Lorenz. Lorenz was, like many forwards, going to the goal. Unfortunately, when Pesci dropped the puck back, there was nobody covering the point. And then it was picked up by, I believe it was uh, Sissons. He brought it in, passed it across to Yakov uh, Trenin, and all of a sudden it's 2-1 Nashville. Again, Nashville wasn't all that great tonight offensively. They still scored twice. First one was a flutter a flutter shot that Roman Yossi took that deflected off Steven Lorenz's glove, I think, and then... It might have gotten Trenton on the shoulder and then went in. I don't think Ned ever saw it, never tracked it. That's a goal. That's one nothing. Carolina chasing the game. Martin Natchez on the power play. Remember the power play? Pretty important. Hamilton looking. Natchez, he rips one. Soros gets a glove to it. Rebound comes out. Hamilton across to Natchez again. Natchez reloads. It scores! Not sure if Sebastian Ajo took 
the site took the vision away from UC Soros, but Aho right in front on that goal. Huh. What happens when you get in front of the goalie? That's right. It's harder for him to make saves. Just like what happened on the disallowed goal. Again, Faust, Fogel, Stahl, basically on top of Soros. Unfortunately for Carolina, Fogel was viewed to have interfered. Again, Carolina won the game. Nobody has to be all that uh, bent out of shape over it. You could be mad at the officials all you want. Um, I didn't hate the call. We'll talk about it with Alec Campbell. I'll, I'll probably explain my position before we take the break, but um, it didn't surprise me when they overturned the call. I mean, who knows what uh, what goalie interference is anyway. But again, the takeaway for me was that this is what happens. Good things happen when you get traffic in front of the net. And that's what Carolina needed out of this game tonight. They needed to reestablish that. Uh, and I think they needed to kind of... Um, get to their game tonight, even though they were chasing the game. And who knows how much of what Nashville did or didn't do offensively tonight was because they had the lead. But there wasn't much danger from Nashville at any point in this game. Actually, Nashville's second period was their best period. I thought Nashville was good. I thought it was an entertaining second period, even though Carolina did not score other than the disallowed goal. Uh, and Carolina had plenty of scoring chances. And I will say this. I've, I, I was tweeting it during the game. You can always tweet to me, by the way, during the game, at a gold fan. I tweeted it during the game. Shooting low on UC Soros is a recipe for disaster. Uh, he covers the bottom of the net as well as any goalie I've seen this year. But especially because he's smaller, just like, you know, Ned or Peter are smaller, you can get, you can, you can beat him high. Natchez beat him glove side high uh, on the power play. And there's plenty of room high if Sebastian Ajo or Andre Svechnikov or any of these guys who had the puck in tight can just elevate the puck. You can you can score on Soros. He is taking away the bottom of the net, but he's giving you room up high. Uh, and Carolina needs to go to the just just watch the tape. And I think you I think they will have some success on Soros if they get uh, if they can elevate shots. But let's get to the moment in the third period that I know a lot of people talked about. You saw it on TV. Uh, there's about nine and a half minutes left, eight and a half minutes left, I think it was. And Carolina is uh, kind of, and, I, and Alec asked me the question in the, um, in the uh, intermission between the third period and overtime. And he said, well, I mean, what'd you think of the period? It looked like Carolina just, was, uh, just wasn't very good in the first period first part of the period. And here's my read on it. I just thought Carolina was trying too hard to make it happen. Rather than just get to your game, skate, be physical, and by the way, 66 hits from Carolina tonight, seven from the captain. Jordan Stahl had seven hits. Uh, Warren Fogle had six hits. Um, they outhit Nashville 66 to 40. When the game has been more physical, actual physical uh, play, Carolina has been the better team. All three times that has happened. Maybe that's the uh, the recipe in Nashville. Anyway, but Brindamore sensed that they weren't playing well, but it wasn't that they weren't, you know, there was no effort. There was, it wasn't a sluggish period. They were just fighting the puck and maybe trying too hard to make something happen, which allowed nothing to happen. And there were just a lot of missed opportunities, a lot of misplayed pucks. They had trouble making passes, 
And then Natchez picked up the puck. And he skated Carolina to a 2-2 tie. And from that point on, other than about a 90-second stretch, relatively late in the third period when there were some chances on Alex Nedeljkovic or uh, potential scoring chances, I thought at that point, Carolina really had gotten to their game. And I felt really good about what Carolina was uh, was going to do in overtime because I felt like they had relaxed a little bit and the game was starting to come to them. I believe the game will come to them on Thursday as well. I think you'll see the Carolina Hurricanes' best game on Thursday, and I do think the series will end there. Um, now, And if it doesn't, then we have Saturday here at PNC Arena. That game will probably be uh, a uh, an 11.45 p.m. puck drop. Or maybe they'll play it at 8 in the morning. I don't know. The NHL is kind of screwy with times. Um, so, Canes were very good tonight, especially defensively. Has everything to do with Jacob Slavin back in the lineup. Uh, Jordan Stahl does yeoman's work. couple of things about Martin Natchez. Uh, before the game, Natchez did not have a goal, really hadn't played well in either game in Nashville. They were going to need something from their skilled players. The difference between these two teams is that Carolina's high-end skilled players are better than Nashville's. But if Carolina's high-end skilled players do not produce Natchez, Ajo, Svechnikov, Teravon, and Trocek, then it doesn't matter how good your high-end skilled players are. If the game becomes a grinded-out affair... It's really advantage Nashville. Doesn't mean Carolina can't win, but it means that we have games like this. But power play goal, one for three on the power play. The penalty kill was outstanding. All three penalties wiped out. Of course, a little of that is a very short power play uh, in overtime with Brady Shea in the box pretty much right away. Uh, That was a good shift, by the way, by Nashville to create all that pressure. I thought it was a penalty on Shea. Uh, Was not surprised. And then Ajo drew a... Uh, an interference penalty from Carrier, uh, who, look, uh, you know, Nashville drew some, uh, Matt Benning drew a penalty tonight where, where it probably wasn't anything more than two guys, uh, you know, fighting in front of the net, fighting for position in front of the net. Uh, but Benning pretended to, I guess, need oral surgery. So there was a roughing penalty on Fogel. Uh, and I don't think Aho knew where Carrier was, uh, but... It didn't hurt anything that Ajo skated backwards into him, went to the ice, and that's an interference penalty, and all of a sudden we're four-on-four, and from four-on-four, now it's it's open for Jordan Stahl to score. Uh, So uh, penalty kill was good. Power play looked pretty good tonight. I don't think it looked awesome, but it looked better. Uh, There were some changes to the power play with Teravainen and Natchez replacing Stahl and Svechnikov on the power play on the top unit, and although the for the Hurricanes' second power play, second or third power play, uh, they started with the second unit, but it wasn't out there very long. Uh, it just kind of it was it was a, a mishmash, but I believe that's what we saw with the first with the top unit, which was uh, Aho, Teravainen, Natchez, Trocheck, and Dougie Hamilton. I think that was the top unit. Uh, Either way, they got a power play goal. They got one that they needed in the first period after Nashville took a lead on kind of a wacky-looking goal. Carolina outshoots uh, Nashville 37-25 tonight. UC Soros has made, I believe, unofficially 16 million saves in this series. Tonight, he had to make some really good ones 
on Aho and others. And again, Carolina also missed some chances in tight. Again, shoot high. Shoot high. Not too high because you don't want to go over the bar. But uh, I thought Carolina uh, had some chances, just didn't take advantage of them. Maybe on Thursday in Nashville, they will. Real quick on the disallowed goal, and then we'll take a break and we'll talk to Alec Campbell. Here's why, and maybe this is looking at it just from a logic point of view. Let's agree here that, like the catch rule in the NFL, nobody knows what goaltender interference is. And the problem might be that we have these written rules for goaltender interference rather than simply leaving it up to the officials or Toronto, and that's where the call was made, to say, hey, did somebody inter- did somebody impede the goaltender from doing his job? Rather than have these rules about skates and, play- and paint and contact and this and that, maybe we just say, hey, what do you think? Did the, uh, did, the, did the offense get in the way of the goalie of, uh, of doing his job? If the answer is yes, interference, whether it's in the crease or not. And uh, if the answer is, nah, he probably didn't, then the answer is goal, whether in the crease or not. Maybe that's the easier way to do it, but that's not how it's done. Uh, letter of the law, this is the way I looked at it. One, Warren Fogle is in there first by himself, on his own. He, he was not pushed into UC Soros. He just went an established net front position. And by the way, that's good, even though he was in the, in the crease and there was some contact. Uh, and then Roman Yossi came over and pushed him out because that's what Roman Yossi is supposed to do. In the, in the uh, act of pushing him out, I think Yossi impeded Soros. Now, I'm looking at this too logically, probably. Because, in my opinion, Yossi is sort of an extension of Fogel at this point. Because the only reason why Yossi is there to push Fogel out is because Fogel's in the crease. And then the puck goes off of Jordan Stahl's skate and in. So, maybe that's not goaltender interference. But when I saw the call on the ice, the first thing I thought of was, oh yeah, they're going to call that. They're going to call that. And the emotional... Goal, again, love the way Carolina scored it, was going to get wiped off the board. And then that's what happened. And then, you know, everybody bitches about the referees. Call was made not by the referees in the building. The call was made in Toronto. And again, letter of the law. Yeah, it's it's goaltender interference. Um, Common sense, Roman Yossi interfered with UC Soros. What are we going to do? Um but if you want to, why not just play the ball don't lie theory? Let's play ball don't lie game. Shouts to Rasheed Wallace. Ball don't lie. Puck don't lie. Better team won the game tonight. So we can, you can, we could, and it's good that we don't have to sit here and cry about uh, Carolina got screwed because I'm so tired of that. You, anybody that has listened to what I do on the radio on a regular basis, you understand I don't play those games. Referees do not cost teams games. Yeah, there are a couple of occasions. It's not a it's not a hundred percent accurate theory, uh, but overwhelmingly, games are decided by players. Yeah, do referees impact games? Of course they do. How they call a game matters. We got it to a point in the third period where tripping was legal. Then in the overtime early, Brady Shea was not allowed to hold. I actually thought, again, I thought the call was proper. thought that was the right call. But look, Carolina was going to kill that penalty anyway. We all know that because that's what they do. 
Uh, and then Sebastian Ajo uh, was interfered with by Alexander Carrier, and the rest is Jordan Stahl history. Um, we'll talk with uh, with Alec Campbell on the other side. Uh, this is the Canes Corner Podcast. We are here after every Hurricanes game, and hopefully we have, oh, about 15 more of these. Maybe more. Maybe more than 15 of these. Actually, I would like 22 of these. Uh, let's keep going six or seven games in every series and keep winning the series, and then we'll be back here for a parade, and we'll have a morning after podcast after the parade. Uh, or maybe it'll be an afternoon after a podcast uh, when the hangover goes away. Per, uh, something like that. Um, so we're here after every po- every af- after every podcast. Kind of feels that way sometimes. We're here after every game, and we invite you to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, uh, let us know what you think. Mostly, I just like the feedback. So if you like it, tell us what you like. If you don't, stop listening. That's all I'm saying. If you don't like it, then I don't need you. All right, we'll be right back. Alec Campbell on the other side. Canes with an emotional, exciting 3-2 overtime win. My man, Alec Campbell, I feel like I just sat in a room with you for uh, for uh, the better part of three hours, and I enjoyed it. Weird. Uh, you're here. It's uh, it's the Canes Corner Podcast. Uh, you're here a lot. You also do pregame and postgame and intermissions. We do overtime admission uh, intermissions for the Hurricanes Radio Network. You can also follow, follow whatever, F- Follick. Yeah, whatever. You can also follow Alec on Twitter at AlecCampbell5. Uh, did we see an awakening tonight? In what way? I, I, I don't know. I kind of felt like there, like, I didn't, I didn't like hate what I saw, but I also kind of felt like there was something missing from the game. I thought from, for a lot of it tonight. I mean, it was like every time there was, you know, some good moments in the game, then there would be a few bad moments, and I guess maybe that's just normal. I don't know. It's just kind of a a weird way it played out, and I guess for the most part, it was mostly pretty competitive between both teams. I mean, I'm not sure either team really ran away from it, ran away with the game. You know, I think both teams were pretty evenly matched at this point. Um, I mean, I, I don't know that that's any more evident than three straight games that go to <laughs> overtime, yeah. right? So... But there were there were times when I wasn't sure if Carolina was going to be able to pull it out, and I think especially in the third period. I mean, I think the beginning of the third period was a little bit rough, and then obviously Nate just scores the goal and things kind of turn around from there. It almost appeared to me at times in the third that Nashville decided that they weren't going to play any more offense; that they were just going to kind of pack it in and see if they could, you know seal the game like that and it didn't work well that was actually the case pretty much all game for nashville i thought uh whether it's nashville saying you know we've got one or we've got two and that's enough i don't know um nashville only had for the entire game 13 scoring chances that's not even high danger right 13 scoring chances yeah i don't think carolina was great in that category carolina had 28 yeah. Um, so whether it's look, we're going to talk about the return of Jacob Slavin in a second. Um, I thought Carolina played a really good defensive game, mm-hmm. which is really what they do better than anything. Because if you look at all of their, especially five on five numbers, in terms of total goals, five on five, 
Carolina's in the bottom half of the NHL. But in terms of plus, minus, five on five, they're, I think, fifth in the NHL. So they don't they don't allow anything five on five. I think it was eighty one goals at five on five in fifty six games this year, and that includes what whatever we saw in the last <laughs> the last night of the regular season when they got beat five nothing. Well, some of those weren't five on five. Some of those were five on four when they allowed those goals because they gave up two shorties. Anyway, my point is, I thought Carolina was uh, I thought Carolina was good for the most part. The third period, I know what you're saying. Because the third period was rough. They couldn't handle the puck. Mm -hmm. And when you can't handle the puck, you can't do anything with it. So they were a complete mess. But I didn't feel like... I felt like they were probably trying too hard to to make something happen. Yeah. Um, And that's the way I looked at it. And it just took Martin Natchez getting shot out of a cannon. Yeah. Which I've seen before. But yeah. So and, and I think once that happened, the reason I asked you the question the way I did is because I thought from the time Natchez scored the goal to the end of the game, including the overtime, yeah, there was a penalty that Carolina got hemmed in right away. Uh, but I thought Carolina looked like Carolina. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. That so. after Natchez scored the goal, they really kind of took the game over. And it's not like they didn't get scoring chances. I mean, the first couple of periods, they had a ton of them. I, I mean, the second period, you know, Aho on the back door twice yep. in that period. One time he got stuffed by Soros. Another time, I'm not sure that puck that he really had a had a chance. Right I think at the, Soros got it before right Aho at the did. end of the period. He might have kicked it with the skate or something. Yeah. I mean, Brock McGinn had a had a chance right out front on a pass from Jacob Slavin. You know, Martin Natchez in front of the goal that that he just decided not to put on a the, stick on. On some, the Trocek pass. For some reason, yeah. So, you know, they, they had the goal that was overturned. You know, like they had scoring chances. And so that's where I, that's where I go, like, yeah, I mean, there were times tonight where they looked pretty good to me, and maybe overall they did. But then there were other times that they were just a little sloppy, uh-huh. and they gave up some. They they did some dumb things that made you kind of wonder, like, you know, are they mentally all there? I mean, and you could understand, like, after two straight games of double overtime, that you know, I even wondered aloud at one point, like, are they are they a little sluggish? Like, is it is it mentally sluggish? Where you know you have these moments of greatness, but you have lapses in judgment, right? You know, a la the Brett Pesci situation, fifty-three seconds into the second period, right? So I don't know. You know, is it was, it was uh, but it was it was a hard-fought game. I mean, I thought that they they battled for it. You know, so they and it's not that they it's they it's not that they didn't deserve to win tonight i think right. they deserve to win i think that you know especially in that over like when they went to 4 on 4 i liked that situation for carolina <laughs> i'll always any, take 4 any, on any, 4 any time they get to 4 on 4 i like that i like yeah. them in those scenarios so and it's not even like they they were able to really utilize their strength in the 4 on 4 just it was you know, it was what you want. I mean, yeah. shot from the point, dude in front, 
And I think that was a big key tonight, too, was that there was clearly an emphasis on dudes getting to the net. Yeah. How about that? All right. Um, isn't it good that we don't have to sit here and talk about and analyze and dissect goaltender interference? <laughs> aren't we Aren't we glad we don't have to do that? Yeah, because... And and that's partly what made it a good challenge by Nashville because any of them could be called. I don't hey, that 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 could have been an allowed goal just as easily as, as a disallowed as it goal. could have been. Yeah, it could right. have been disallowed. I, I tend to lean where Rod Brindamore leaned, and after sort of hashing it out, you know, letter of the law. Yeah, contextually, I don't like it. I didn't like it. Right. I didn't like the call. I mean. To me, Fogel had exited with enough time. I mean, and even the contact that he did make with Soros, I didn't think was that much of an impediment. Right. And I also don't believe that just because UC Soros decides he's going to push <laughs> Fogel out, like Fogel didn't have any control over that. That's your problem, bro. I mean, Roman Yossi. I mean, Roman Yossi yeah. decides he's going to push Fogel out, that then suddenly it's... Fogel's fault that there's, you know, interference there. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me, really. So, I didn't really like it. Yossi was the guy who was mostly impeding his goaltender. Yeah. I thought that Fogel had gotten himself out of there in enough time that, you know, he wasn't the the problem. I didn't think he necessarily caused that much. And I think the referees ought to take those things into consideration a little bit more. Like the content, how much did he actually impede your ability to do your job? Right. And I don't think he really did that much. I, I don't I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, to me, it's very similar to the conversations we have about the catch rule mm-hmm. in football. Like, yeah, dude, we know what a catch looks like when we see it. Whether or not the ball kind of moves a little bit right. when the guy hits the ground, well, we know it's a catch or not. I think we all agree that yeah, the whatever interference there was, does it didn't bother UC Soros on the goal? Yeah, right. He's not going to make that save, especially right. When and you then consider, there's that right, part of it when it goes off a stall skate. It's going to go wide. It goes off a stall skate and in. Um, the call was made in Toronto. It was not made by the referees here. I'll oh, see. Trip told me otherwise. He said, I mean, he basically said they work in concert on those things, but ultimately the guys here make the final call. Oh, maybe uh, he, he could be right. Um, with, I, with, with, and we don't know the extent of this strong influence yeah. from Toronto. We don't know, we don't know what well, they're saying up there. Regardless who made the call, again, letter of the law, you know, Fogel went in there first, right? On his own. Uh, I mean, to me, there wasn't that much contact with Soros anyway. There wasn't. Uh, but he did go in there on his own. And like uh, like I said, I'm just glad we don't have to sit here and complain about getting screwed. Uh, right. Because that's what would have happened. Right. That, that, that would have been the reason right. why they lost the game. With, not not all the not Brock McGinn chunking that right. chance in front of the net. And not Natchez. Who you know? I guess at the end of the game would have had a hat trick had he put a stick on the ice for a backhand from Trocheck or whatever else. And not wondering why the line of Aho, Svechnikov, and Taravainen, who did have some good moments tonight, have zero points through two games. Yeah, the I last mean, two. It's been a little disappointing. I actually think Aho played very well in Nashville in the double overtime loss in Game Four, um, and I think Taravainen played pretty well in that game too. 
But they had a three-on-two tonight that I don't even know what the hell I saw. Yeah. Like, wh- like, why is the pass going there? That pass didn't get through cleanly. Why don't you just do this like... Like, again, I think there were there was a lot of gripping the stick tonight. Mm. Um, and, and I think this is what happens when you're the better team and you're pushed by a team that isn't as good as you and all of a sudden you find yourself eight minutes away from, oh my gosh, we're going back there and if we lose that game, it's over. And I think there was a lot of that going on tonight. And that's why I think that I just... I get the feeling that the Natchez goal, which was beautiful, highlight real goal, just kind of made everything go away. Carolina could have had the uh, they could have had the game winner in regulation. Carolina had chances after that, mm-hmm. so I'm maybe I'm reading too much into it, and it may be completely different. You're you you and I both don't believe momentum carries over from game to game. No. I within games, yes, not from not from game to game. I mean, yeah, but like I also think that intermissions can be terrible, sure. m- momentum killers. Absolutely. So Absolutely. I'm like I'm even a little, I'm a little hesitant on that. What about a whistle? What about a face off? No, I think I'm, just, I don't, I'm, just, I don't, I'm yeah. trying to draw you yeah, out of it. No, but <laughs> just back to the back to the penalty thing, real quick, and not just specifically to that call, but just when to call penalties because trip brought this up in the aftermath where the spirit of the rule is meant for the egregious mistakes sure right this is the same thing we discuss when we talk about replay right all the time. it's 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 all not meant for the zapruder filming of right. every you know millisecond or quarter inch or eighth of an inch that a the right. nose of a ball or a or whatever you know, is out of bounds or whatever, you know, and that's not what happened there. Now, go to go to the overtime period. I think the Brady Shea penalty was a penalty. Absolutely a like, penalty. I think he absolutely kept whoever it was. I can't remember who he who who he had. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. From yeah. a a chance that he would have otherwise had to get the puck. I think that was maybe the third penalty in that sequence. <laughs> Maybe the second by Shea. Right. No, there were yeah. just as just as I think the 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 penalty that negated it was a penalty as well. The the interference call sure. on Aho in the middle of the ice. So yeah, I don't that, think that's, Carrier that's where, did it on purpose, but no, he no, was there. No, but that's where I think the referees. That's where I think the 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 places where they need to be better are in the egregious mistake area area. Did this play prevent this person from making a play they otherwise would have made? And as Tripp mentioned as well, probably with the communication factor with players and coaches and stuff like that, which I've heard from other players before too. Like Eric Cole has talked about that in the past, just about the relationships that he had with the referees on the ice. And the ability to complain a little bit and them – understand a little bit and explain things a little bit more and just have more of a rapport between the players and the referees. So we don't have that in any sport anymore. No, no. Everything is over officiated yeah. at this point. And part, well, part everybody of that complains, right? But if we stop, if everybody stopped complaining or they could just stop listening to the complaining, they could. And you could just let, I mean, I'm not, I think you're right. 
Um, but yeah, we everything's so hyper. We spend way too much time talking about that stuff. You know my position on replay, right? Yeah. We should look all replay should be looked at real speed. Right. There's there's a point where because of replay, like we know too much. That's part of what yes. it is. We know so much now that we all have <laughs> opinions on stuff. And you know, in many ways that's a good thing, but in many ways there are a lot of things we didn't used to complain about because we didn't have the information to complain about them. Right? Right. So, and, you know, the other thing about it is that most people that, I, that I've listened to or talked to are, are cool in the end with referees making mistakes and that just being a part of sports. I think more people than not are for that. Well, but in the heat of the moment, when something affects the team negatively, then that's when they get upset about it. But I think, as a general rule, more people are for, like, hey, the referees make mistakes. That's a part of sports. You have to deal with it. I don't know if it's the majority that are would be okay without replay. I mean, I, don't, I really don't know what the number is. I'm, you might be right. I mean, um, I don't know any numbers. I'm just right. saying, like, just from informal listening to people over years that's I, what i that's what i gather i just think and you've heard me say this i just don't think replays made the games better i really don't it doesn't change it changes calls which means that we get more calls right because of replay mm-hmm. it's rare i'm not saying it doesn't happen it's rare that they uh overturn the right call uh, but it I mean it obviously happens because we've seen it. Um, but I think there's. But just, I, I just don't think it does. It doesn't. It randomly decides what it what can what like why can't you review puck over the glass? Right. Why that should be an easy one to review. Right. Did it go over the glass? Why can everybody in the arena look at a replay because they show it on the jumbotron, but the four officials on the ice can't. Yeah. Why? I, that doesn't make any sense to me. Also, that's to me that's a stupid call anyway. I, regardless, like, I'm yeah. I'm not a, you They should eliminate that. Like and I think that you can tell when someone flips it over on purpose. Well, right, there's there's also intent. Right. Like the, we see calls that like well, he didn't really try to flip it over the glass, which maybe anything that has involves intent, but they I, should really get rid of anyway. I guess what I'm what I'm sort of getting at is, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked about on the show here recently about the way, like, you know, the topic of analytics sort of taking away from games in a way. You know, the referees being a part of the game and missing calls and whatnot, it's kind of a part of the charm of sports in a weird way. Humans play. Humans play. Humans officiate it. Done. You know, it's it. You know, in baseball, we have... Lots of different umpires with lots of different strike zones. Gosh. Is it infuriating at times? Yes, of course it's infuriating right. at times. But at the same time, it's also like sort of part of the charm. Shout out to Joe West, by the way. Right. Elon guy. You That's know what? Right. Joe West has now umpired more uh, games than anybody ever. Cowboy Joe. Big NAIA football champion at, at Elon. He uh, also has the worst uh, strike rate of any umpire in the big leagues. Right. 
But ask Elliot Johnson. You know, every, every, everybody hates Joe West except the actual players who like Joe West. I'm glad the players like Joe West. He probably they don't like Angel Hernandez, but they like he, Joe. Well, West. Angel Hernandez is a terrible, terrible umpire. Um, let's talk. Uh, let's talk about Jacob Slavin for a couple of minutes. Okay. Was there a noticeable difference in Carolina with Jacob Slavin on the ice than without Jacob Slavin? Yeah, I mean, I would say there, I would say there was. I mean, I also, I guess he looked fine. I mean, I think he looked good. I mean, he, there was at least one time when he recovered for, I, th- I guess it was Dougie, to come across the ice. And, I mean, he looked like he was skating fine. He looked like he was moving fine. I didn't see any you know, wincing in pain or anything like right. that. Well, he might not have felt any. He might not have felt any. For whatever reason. But at the same time, it's like maybe he's just – not letting anybody know about it. I don't know. Like, how are you supposed to know? Maybe right. he's just found out that he's good enough to go. He's not further damaging anything. And whatever. He's, so he's just going to keep playing. Game one. I hope when that's he did, the case. I do, too. I, and, like, to, you know, we'll see how what the recovery is tomorrow, too. Because I think that's the big test. Absolutely. Right? And uh, they've got a, a flight to Nashville. Game I mean, one. I find it hard to believe, honestly, that he's 100%. I mean, you just no, miss three games and you come back and play. I mean, well, I watched him game one and I realized and I, I admitted that this could be the case. I could simply be looking for something. And while he was able to change direction pretty well, I didn't see the straight line speed from Slavin. Now, I don't know what would, what injury would cause you to be able to change direction but not have the burst that Slavin normally has. But I think we saw that burst tonight. I thought we saw his speed back. Because mm-hmm. uh, there were times in the game, uh, in the first game of this series, so what is it now, a week ago yesterday, in which Slavin could not chase down a skater for Nashville. But, and I, I don't remember the skater, uh, but tonight he was. He was able to do that. So if Jacob has the speed back, mm-hmm. then I don't know. Well, also, I mean, the play that he, the play that we talked about with Brock. I mean, he was battling behind the board oh. for the puck, you know, with some resistance there and yep. some physicality there that he was able to get through. So I, that's that's encouraging to me too. Twenty six oh eight. Let uh let all hurricanes in time on ice. There you go tonight. Uh, Brett Brett Pesci only played twenty five fifteen. Probably feels like vacation. Yeah, when he played a couple shifts with Yanni Hockenpah. Well, he started off the first two periods with Hockenpah. Yeah, they started with Hockenpah, Pesci, and the fourth line. Uh, both for both periods. Um, you know what? I when I I di- I didn't check was whether or not Brock McGinn ever came back to the game because there was a time where Carolina was down a skater uh, on the bench. Do not know if that happened with McGinn, but McGinn played a bunch tonight. Uh, so maybe he was just go. I don't know, going to the bathroom because uh, he played about 14 minutes. Uh, Carolina's forward group pretty much spread out in ice time tonight, which has been the case for Nashville this entire series. Uh, so I don't know if that's based on, you know, 100 minutes twice in Nashville. And, uh, uh, you know, they didn't know they were going to overtime. It was obviously they only played an extra two minutes here. Uh, but I was uh, a little surprised that Carolina's ice time was so spread out. 
uh, across four lines, but good because the fourth line was good tonight. Um, and the fourth line has been, for the most part, uh, I think obviously very good. So it doesn't bother. And I think it's cool that Rod starts the game that way. Of course, at four on four, it was Slavin and Pesci, which that's never bad. Um, all right, let's get let's get uh, one more positive, and then I'll ask you about uh, a negative. Uh, the positive, we got something out of one of their high skill players tonight. Yes, Martin Hs. Yeah, so two goals. They needed they needed something out of that group of players. Yeah, I mean, again, zero points for the TSA line last game. Zero points for them again tonight. So they need those dudes to. Be good, obviously. They're their best players. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, and, you know, Natchez can be one, too, eventually. Um, so, yes, very good by them for getting some <laughs> points from one of their top players. <laughs> but Natchez scored both goals were, I mean, they're absolutely critical because they were both answer goals. You know, also, uh, Tripp pointed this out, so I'm just basically stealing all of his thoughts. It's fine. But He's got good thoughts couple of things couple of things number one on the nature's power play goal which by the way he was bumped up to play on that yep first power play unit he scores on that side right the wrister there yep and it was a fake shot on the wraparound that kept soros over there on that post so Maybe part of that was due to the fact that he already scored from over there, right? right? So the you know maybe it was set up a little bit, and he maybe he knew that, you know he had already beaten him once over okay. there. He faked the shot and go around the net because Saros had no like he had no chance on that <laughs> wraparound goal. I mean, yeah. Natchez had plenty of the, time. He had the whole net because the puck didn't go in close to the post. It went all the way across to the other side. It yeah. basically went along the goal line. Yep. So he almost missed it. <laughs> through the crease as opposed to right for a timing issue right <laughs> so you know i don't know maybe maybe that's overthinking the situation right now but you've and you know he had two shots on that power play goal right. it both came basically from the same spot so there's that aho had a net front on that too yes but i also think it's interesting that the first power play unit scores and again, Trip brought this up, pointing this out. Scores on that that power play, and then the next time around, Rod comes back with the second power play unit start, to start. Right, started with the right? second unit. Because what was the fear for switching up the power play units? One of them was, what does this do to Aho's psyche? I mean, not Aho, Svechnikov's psyche, if you take him off the first power play unit. Right. So. You know, normally, I mean, you start the second unit only if the first unit has been abominably bad. Right. Right? Or if the first unit's forwards were just on the ice. Right. Correct. But they didn't do that. So I just think that was an interesting piece of the game. A little psychology. Right. Um, but he flipped. Stahl was on the second unit. Right. So Same he put thing. Stahl and Svechnikov out there. Right. It's like having two first units. Right. I don't know. Which, hey. I think you're right. 
two first units is better than a first and a second. It is. It is. Um, no, but I, I, I think you're right to in, in pointing that out uh, because they do still have to kind of manage Svechnikov's yeah, confidence, but his ego, right? right? There's, a, there's an ego there uh, because I know that part of the reason that there were times this year where Andre was kind of on walkabout was because he wasn't he wanted to play with Aho. He really wanted to play with Aho. Mm-hmm. And all remember that that part of the season where Aho and Natchez were a thing. Where they we were like, oh my gosh, uh Tevo is gonna have to find a new partner. And Svechnikov probably wanted to play up with them. But they were like playing with McGinn, right? It was like Aho and Natchez and Brock McGinn. So Svech was playing a lot with Stahl, and Andre wants to play with essentially their best player. And you know, then when the th- when the big three got back together, it was r- ridiculous for a while. They were scoring like you know they have ten point games combined. Um, so I I Rod still has to manage that. Yeah, and it it, it could go either way, and they. Well, because, I mean, if we talk about the power play, you know, extending into the five-on-five and all that kind of stuff, then it's important to do that. I just think it's – that's pretty clear to me that Rod's managing egos. Still has to. Right, and it's not not like I think I'm this good. It's like he just – Andre wants to play with – oh. Right. It's pretty clear that that's – he feels better playing with that type of player, Uh, even though – at the beginning of the season, well, I mean, Stahl and Svech were creating points early. To to do that after your first unit has scored you a power play goal, though. Yeah. No, no. You know? Yeah, 100%. Uh, you answered, actually, the second part of what I was going to get to was uh, needing to get that line going, but we sort of addressed it. And it does. It needs to get going. And I I do think that there was uh, a little bit of a an exhale. After those two games in Nashville, where... You know, they could have scored goals and they didn't. And tonight, they could have scored goals and they didn't. I think there was a little bit of an exhale. I think winning this game the way they want it is going to do a lot for them. Uh, and so, who, you think Ned will start game six? I do. <laughs> I do. Jeez. Oh, I don't think there's any any reason to not do it. He was pretty good tonight. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's very good. I feel like he kind of... Listen, I like I looked down and he was twenty three or twenty five. Yeah, and I me. just I, I, he ended up being a star. I gave him a star. Did you, did you give him a star? Yeah, I, didn't. I mean, but he kind of faded. He kind of was just there. I didn't really right think of Ned a whole lot. No, I mean the first goal was certainly not his fault. But it was like after the game, I'm like, well, oh, Ned was pretty good. I was fine. It was yeah. good. He, I don't think he had to do a ton. I don't either. I don't think. So I don't just, know why they gave him a start, wasn't that's that. Fine. They're like they were like playing counterattack soccer tonight. I agree. That's what it looked like uh-huh. to me. Like they're just kind of chilling, and whenever they would get an opportunity, they would pick their spots, and especially when they went up two one. Oh yeah, I no, mean, it, it. I agree. I think they looked like they tried to win the game two one. I actually thought that was going to be a problem for Carroll. Well, they had some chances. Matt Duchesne missed an empty yeah, net. Yeah, pretty much. Shot right. it wide. Who was it? Uh, Ryan Johansson. Johansson had a. Uh, yeah, they had a couple. 
a great chance in front that Ned stopped. So he had to make some saves, and he maybe got a little fortunate. They also blocked some uh, shots that uh, could have gotten through and been a problem. Um, who are your three stars tonight? Same as the oh, here in the game. I mean, I didn't know who else to give a star to outside of Ned. Right. Because, I mean, Natchez, obviously, right, gets yeah, one. Yeah, he got, he, I mean, how, and how he do got you, the first star. How do you not give Jordan one? Jordan got my third star. Actually, in retrospect, Jordan should have gotten second star for me. I think I gave Jordan second star and Natchez first star. I can't right. remember. But I don't know. Everybody else was fine. I gave Jacob Yeah, star. Jake, Jacob was good. I gave Jacob a star. He had, an, yeah, he had the he also assist had an assist on the on the Natchez goal, uh, and because Soros batted the puck, there was no assist on the stall goal, and I believe Slavin and Pesci would have gotten the two assists. Yes, they Pe- would have. Pesci took the shot. Slavin passed it to him. Slavin passed it to Pesci, who yeah. shot it. Yes, and then. Now, I don't know if it was deflected on the way through or not. Either way. And Dougie Hamilton had the other assist. Dougie Hamilton played a better game tonight. Maybe so he just of, needed his security blanket. All of the defensemen were coming up on the assist score sheet. Jake Bean played like eight minutes. Yeah. It's fine he, with me. He didn't hurt him for eight minutes. It's fine with me. That's what it's supposed to be. All right. Uh, go home. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, that's it. That's all we got. Another mountain to climb tomorrow. Yes. We, we, that's, what, that's all we do is climb mountains. Every day. I can't wait till Thursday night for a, uh, for a 9.39 puck drop. Eastern Ugh. time in Nashville. By Ugh. the way, if there's a game seven, <laughs> if, if there's a game seven right now, there's a contingency. Because uh, um, that'll be a Saturday game. It'll either be at uh, 9.30 a.m., or 11.45 p.m. in uh, here in Raleigh. I'm making that up, Alec. Give me, give me the 9.30. <laughs> give me the 9.30. Oh, gosh. Yeah, earlier. Yes. Earlier is better. All right, go home. All right, see ya. It's the Canes Corner Podcast. I am Adam Gold. It's brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. If it's for the exterior of your home, you can find it at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina on Hamlin Road in Durham. Sammy Hanna and his crew do a great job. Thank you very much for uh, for going to their website and getting a no, free no-obligation estimate aluminumcompany.com. And thanks for listening to the Canes Corner Podcast. Wherever you f- get your podcast, you can follow us there, rate us, review us, uh, and uh, let us know what you think. And we'll talk to you Thursday night, probably Friday morning, the morning after the Hurricanes and the Nashville Predators play game six. Bye. You've been listening to the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sports Fan app. And you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and TuneIn. Thanks again for listening to the Canes Corner Podcast. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. 
all backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.